the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Because God is looking towards that wonderful time of forgiveness and restoration. That's our Father's heart for us. He's always looking ahead, He's looking to the future, He's looking to the promises, He's looking to our redemption, our restoration, our forgiveness. We're the ones who get stuck in the past, not God. God is way ahead of us. He's, he's already seen the cross. He's already seen forgiveness. He's already seen redemption. He loves us and He wants all His best for us. Have you ever felt hung up on your past? Have you ever been trying to accomplish your goals but felt stuck because of old issues that are keeping you hostage? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that the only way to move on from your past mistakes is through God's perfect grace. If you want to experience freedom and lose the shackles that are holding you back, accept God's calling for your life and be saved from yourself. Change who you are and be a new creation in Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, as he begins his message, Forget the Past. Let's take our Bibles and go to Isaiah, chapter 43. So I'm going to read from chapter 43, verses 14, down to almost the end of the chapter, down to verse 25. We're going to start here, Isaiah 43. Let me start reading at verse 14. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise." Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. For you have not bought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. 
But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Let's pause there and pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word today. We just pray that we wouldn't be hearers only, but doers of your word, that we would apply these things to our lives Lord, we want to glorify you and honor you, and we trust that you've received our praise through worship, and now that you would just as equally be praised as we study your word and apply it to our lives. We're grateful, Lord, for your grace and your love and your mercy in our lives. Be glorified now, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, if you have no regrets in life, then that probably means you haven't lived long enough. Because if you've lived long enough, you will have regrets. You will have regrets about something you did. You'll have regrets about something you said. You'll have regrets about something you saw, something you heard. And if it isn't regrets for something you did, saw, heard, or said, you'll perhaps have regrets for something you didn't do, something that you wish you had done that now is too late to go back and do. Or you might have regrets for something that perhaps happened to you, no fault of your own, but you regret that it happened to you, or you regret that something never happened that you wish had happened. Life is full of regrets. It's not a matter of will you experience regrets. All of us, if you live long enough, will have regrets. But the real issue is how do you handle those regrets? Because how you handle those regrets are the difference between being stuck in the past or moving on to your future. And one of the things I hear just about as often as I hear anything else in 30 years of ministry are from people who are haunted by things they've done in the past and this inability to move on. When you look here in Isaiah 43, this is what God is addressing in verse 18. When he says to the prophet Isaiah, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. What exactly does that mean? And even more importantly, how do we do it? How do we practically forget the former things and not dwell on the past? Well, in order for us to really answer those questions, we first need to understand context in this passage here. Whenever you're trying to dig out the meaning of Scripture, it's always critical that you look at the context. Otherwise, uh, if things are taken out of context, then it, it can lead even to heresy, let alone a misinterpretation. So it's important for us to understand context. When Isaiah is writing these things, roughly 700 B.C., Uh, as he reflects the heart of God to his people. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. So here's the context of, of this passage. Isaiah, again, prophesying to the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah around 700 B.C. He, 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 his ministry spans about 40 years, from 740 to 700 B.C. So he's prophesying, this is important in historical context, he's prophesying about 100 years before the Babylonian Empire rises to power, about a hundred years before the Babylonians rise to power. And uh, as, as he begins to prophesy here, what, what we need to understand is we have the advantage historically of looking back to see that the things that Isaiah was pointing towards have actually now transpired. 
that he speaks of the Babylonians coming to power. We know historically now that they did. The Babylonians came to power. They conquered the Assyrians before them. And the Babylonians then rose to world domination. And part of their domination was coming down and besieging the southern kingdom of Israel, known again as Judah. This is where Isaiah is prophesying. But again, he's prophesying about 100 years before the Babylonians will do this. But around the year 606 B.C., the Babylonians will come into the the kingdom of Judah, the southern part of Israel, and they will take prisoners of war. A numbered among those early prisoners of war were Daniel and his friends, same Daniel as the book of the Bible. He, along with many others, will be taken captive by the Babylonians, transported to Babylon, which is on the Euphrates River in what is modern Iraq. And then shortly thereafter, 20 years later, 586 B.C., the Babylonians will actually conquer Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, and they will destroy the temple of God, and they will carry off the articles, the sacred articles within the temple of God. They will take them back to Babylon as plunder of war. And Jerusalem will be just leveled, and the temple of God just completely destroyed. Now, the interesting thing is, the tragic thing, is that God had forewarned his people. This is in part why Isaiah is prophesying 100 years before this. Isaiah will prophesy just before and during the Babylonian conquest. And the warning from God to his own people was that you're living in idolatry, you're rebelling against me, uh, you're, you're not turning from your wicked ways, so I'm going to spank you. And God's method of spanking them was to call for the Babylonians to come. They're going to be the rod of God's discipline to get the attention of the people whom he loves. Nothing like a little war to get your attention. Nothing like being taken prisoner to get your attention. And so this is what happens. And the Jewish people will spend the next 70 years in captivity under Babylonian domination. Many will be taken off to Babylon, and and they will become citizens in Babylon. Many of them won't even return to their homeland. But after 70 years is over, he raised up another king of the Medo-Persian Empire to come and destroy the Babylonians, so that then the Jewish people are allowed, through the favor of the new Medo-Persian king, the Jews are allowed to return to their homeland. Now, what I'm giving you is, is all history, but from where Isaiah is prophesying, it's all future. And when God predicts this whole rise of the Babylon Empire and fall of the Babylonian Empire. He speaks about the punishment of the Babylonians because they overstepped their bounds. That yes, God used them to spank the Jewish people, but then the Babylonians began to oppress the Jewish people. They were harsh to the Jewish people, and so God then raised up the Medo-Persians to conquer the Babylonians. And Isaiah here in chapter 43, look again at verse 14, he's talking about the future punishment of the Babylonians. Now again, you have, you have to wrap your mind around this and you have to understand context. Isaiah's prophesying roughly a hundred years before the Babylonians even rise to world power. And yet he speaks not only past their rise to world power, he speaks of their imminent destruction that God is going to bring them down. Look again at verse 14. This is what he says in verse 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon, speaking for the Jews' sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. Now again, this is Isaiah's talking 100 years before they're even a world power. But we know historically that the Babylonians had a large 
commercial shipping industry, and they also had a very strong naval force because Babylon, the city of Babylon, was located on the Euphrates River, and they had access to the Persian Gulf. So, they, so God says in advance, you're going to rise to world power, you're going to, you're going to dominate the seas, you're going to have commercial shipping industry, you're going to have naval power, and I'm going to destroy your ships because I want you to understand you're not as powerful as you think you are. I'm a little bit more powerful. And your boat ain't going to float anymore. So again, Isaiah is saying all of this in the future, all this in the future. Now, what's important then to realize here is that God is laying out for the Jewish people well in advance of all of this. You're going to rebel against me because of your idolatry. So I'm going to call for the Babylonians to come. This is all future. I'm going to call for the Babylonians to come. They're going to take you captive for 70 years. After 70 years are over, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to uh, forgive you. I'm going to bring you back to your homeland. But I'm going to destroy those Babylonians on your behalf. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. And it's all in the future. Now, here's why this is critical. Because then in verse 18, when God says, So I want you to forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Check it out. God is saying, I want you to forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. But the past is in their future. Is everybody following me with this? So, so this, this would be, I know some of you are like glazed over now, like what in the world? All right. So this would be the equivalent of like a dad having a conversation. I'm going to really try to simplify this with, with like, say, for example, like a six year old child. Say, okay, all right, now, son, so here's this conversation dad's having with a six-year-old son. Son, listen, you've been rebelling against me, and you've been giving yourself to idolatry, all right, <laughs> video games, and, uh, and, and, so you, and, and I, don't, I don't feel like you're being respectful, and so I know you're only six, but I also know that this isn't going to get better. You're going to continue to just rebel, and you're, you're going to get a bigger idol called a cell phone, and, uh, and so when you're 16, when you're 16, I'm going to send you off to military boarding school. That's what I'm going to do. Because you're not going to get better. I'm going to send you off to military. Are you still with me, son? I'm going to send you off to military boarding school. And then they're going to just, oh, man, you, you're going to wish you were six again. You're going to remember this conversation. And because they're going to they're going to they're going to run you like an Amish mule. Let me tell you something. You're going to get three squares a day. It won't be pretty. You will not be happy. You will miss us. But then guess what? After boarding school, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to forgive you. You're going to be restored in right relationship with us. So I want you to know now, forget boarding school. Don't dwell on the past. You get this? I mean, isn't it, this would be a little odd telling a six-year-old, here's what's going to happen in your future and, and because you're, you're bad, and, but yet I, I just want to point out the fact that I'm going to restore you, everything's going to be fine, so forget what is coming. That's what God is saying here. Now, why is this important? Here's why it's important. Because I love this aspect about our Father in heaven. He looks actually beyond their punishment in this story And he highlights their restoration and forgiveness. He looks beyond what they're doing wrong. He looks beyond the rise of the Babylonians. He looks beyond the fall of the Babylonians. And he looks to the time when he's going to actually bring them back to their homeland. And he's going to forgive them and restore them. And that's why he says about 150 years before that whole restoration, about 170 years before that whole restoration, coming back into their homeland, rebuilding the temple. He says, all right, now I'm going to tell you now, well in advance, 
Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Because God is looking towards that wonderful time of forgiveness and restoration. That's our Father's heart for us. He's always looking ahead. He's looking to the future. He's looking to the promises. He's looking to our redemption, our restoration, our forgiveness. We're the ones who get stuck in the past, not God. God is way ahead of us. He's, he's already seen the cross. He's already seen forgiveness. He's already seen redemption. He loves us, and he wants all his best for us. We're the ones that deal with the past. We're the ones who get stuck in the past. God doesn't. Consider the story of Abraham, for example. When, when God appeared to Abraham, he was about 75 years of age, and, and he said, now, in the future, you're, you're going to have a descendant, and, and your descendant is going to be the father of a great nation. You yourself are going to be the father of a great nation. Out of your seed will come a nation too numerous to count, and you're, you're going to be, you're going to be blessed, and I will cause you to be a blessing, and, 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 and then this whole, the whole Jewish race comes from the seed of Abraham. But Abraham was a 75-year-old guy living in Ur in the middle of Iraq between the Tigris and Euphrates, worshiping a pagan god, the moon god. He had no relationship with God. He was a Gentile. God just sovereignly plucked this guy out among all the people of his day and said, you're going to be the man that, and you will end up trusting in me, believing in me, and it'll be credited to him as righteousness. And out of your seed will come a generation eventually leading to Messiah who will be the savior of the whole world. And what God did to him was saying to him, you're 75, and then the promise is he had to wait. And you know the story, he kind of rushed it ahead of time, and you know, so, and, and he took the advice of his wife, and you know, that's a, and now it's today called the Middle East conflict. But anyway, and so, not that you shouldn't take the advice of your wife, but in that particular case, in that particular case, she's like, why don't you just sleep with my maidservant and make a family through her? And, and of course, you know, Abraham's like, well, let me think about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but by the time he gets to be 100, here he is now. He and Sarah, she's 90, and, and they're having a son, Isaac, the child of the promise. And Paul, when he writes about it and reflects on it in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, he talks about Abraham, though he were dead, because though physically he's still alive, he's a hundred, yet he's past the age and Sarah's past the age of reproducing children. So this had to be a miracle that God caused. And so Paul's reflecting on this in Romans 4, 17, and he says that God sees things not as they are, though they are dead, but as they shall be. That's why he can say to Abraham, at the ripe old age of 100, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Because God was looking beyond the present, and he was looking to the future, and God was looking at this whole promise fulfilled through the ultimate seed of Abraham. It's very similar also, you think about the life of Moses. When Moses is mentioned in the Hebrew Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and here he is, many of you know a story that he was you know, miraculously rescued Pharaoh, put out this order to kill all the baby boys. He was trying to tamp down the, the rise of uh, the Hebrew uh, population. And so he gave this order, which is basically a partial birth abortion. And, and some Hebrew midwives said, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to honor God. And we're not going to do that. And so they kept, you know, sparing the baby boys. But Moses was placed in a little basket made out of reed and pushed down the Nile River, just, you know, trying to protect his life. And Pharaoh's daughter then retrieves him from, uh, from, from the Nile. Moses is raised in the house of, of Pharaoh. But when the story is told of his life in Hebrews eleven twenty six, it says how Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead 
He's looking ahead, not behind. He was looking ahead to his reward. Now, how is it that a guy born 1450 B.C. can regard disgrace for the sake of Christ? Jesus hasn't appeared on the world scene except that. You see, Moses was always looking ahead, looking forward to the redemption through the promised Messiah. He knew in his heart there was ultimate redemption that was coming, and he would rather be aligned with that good purpose than to indulge in the treasures of Egypt. And so, therefore, he was more interested in looking ahead to his ultimate reward. It is we who get stuck in our past. Paul, another great example, he he wrote that classic passage out of Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14, when he said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And he says, not that I've already taken hold of it. He says, but one thing I do, this much I know, forgetting what is behind and pressing, straining, leaning toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, his perspective was, and this is good for us to to know, Paul, even in his own testimony, says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a murderer, I had a past life. He says, but when I came to know Christ, now my whole ambition is to just run the race with perseverance and strain forward to finish well, to cross that finish line and not to look back. Because my past is my past. And I have to just leave my past in the past. I don't want my past to haunt me or to interfere with the race that I'm running. How many people do we know this to be true who run track and field? And if it's a neck and neck right at the finish line and and the way athletes now are these days, the, the difference between those who medal and don't is often a fraction of a second. And how many people do we know have lost the medal? Because near the finish line, they took a moment to glance back and it took that tenth off of their off of their game you see and so this is important for us to realize as christians we, we have to run this race and we can't look back and god says to us here in isaiah forty three eighteen, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past see i'm doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it and then the question becomes okay then how then do we do these things three things very quickly number one right out of this verse How do we forget the past? How do we move on? Number one, right out of this verse, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Now, what what does it mean to forget? Because how can we just forget something that is seared in our minds because of what we've done or maybe something that was done to us, and so our past is a difficult thing? Well, when the Bible says forget, it it doesn't, this is, it's not trying to be unrealistic, like, just put a shit out of your mind, and then, you know, maybe one day you'll, you'll never think on this again. Uh, look, I, I do believe that God can take away memories and for our benefit that are painful, and He can just erase those things. But generally speaking, when it says here to forget, it doesn't mean that somehow you're, you're no longer going to remember. What it means is no longer give it its weight. And you can see that clearly further in the chapter in reference to the way that God forgets concerning our sins. Look further in chapter 43, verse 25. It's the last verse we read at the beginning of our study. Verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isn't that a great verse? You ought to highlight that or underline that in your Bible and just remind yourself of that from time to time. But it says here that God remembers your sins no more. Now, how is that possible? God is omniscient. God knows all things. And so he can't forget things. 
And it would be inconsistent with his character to say that he, well, he just, he's absent-minded. He no longer remembers. He just forgot. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a man who lived during many kings' reigns. Perhaps the most well-known king during Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. Isaiah offered counsel and wisdom God had given him, encouraging these kings to continue following God. Some of them did, and others followed their own ways or the people's ways more than God's. Isn't it easy to slip into what the world around you is doing or saying, giving into their ways and rituals? This was the case then, and it's the case now. But what we can learn from Isaiah is that God can use people to speak truth. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can speak truth to one another? Here at Cornerstone Chapel, we get together each Sunday and Wednesday to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. It's a powerful time for us to learn together and fellowship together. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Find service times and directions by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks so much for listening and learning in the book of Isaiah on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.